Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. So this morning, I'm in the third week of a sermon series I'm doing through the Old Testament book of Joshua. It's the sixth book in the Bible. And if you're unfamiliar with the storyline and where Joshua fits in chronologically, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, what's happened is that the Israelites, remember, were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them through Moses, through a series of plagues, brought them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, brought them into the wilderness where they received the law, the covenant of what it meant to be in relationship with God. And he was leading them towards the promised land, the land of Canaan that he had promised long ago to Abraham and then to Isaac and Jacob, this land uh, that would be a land of rest for the people, okay? And so he's brought them out into the wilderness. They're heading to the promised land. They reach the edge of the promised land. Moses chooses 12 men to send out as spies into the promised land. And 10 of them come back, quaking in fear, saying that the people in this land are huge and there's no way we could defeat them. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back with a positive report saying, listen, God has promised us this land. There's no way they can stop us. But because of the negative report of the 10 spies, unfortunately, the fear spread throughout the camp. And as a result, uh, God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, saying that whole generation was going to die off and would not enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. So, as we near now and come to the book of Joshua, what has happened is that those 40 years have passed. The whole generation has died out, including Moses. Uh, only Joshua and Caleb remain. And they are once again at the, uh, the, the, the um, boundary of the, of the promised land, of the land of Canaan, with the Jordan River in front of them. And we're going to be in chapters 3 and 4 this morning, which is the story of the crossing of the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. And we're going to look particularly this morning at what it has to teach us about the life of faith and what it means to follow God. So my plan this morning is to go through chapters 3 and 4 a little bit at a time, just offer a little commentary on the way, and then I'll share with you the three implications of this passage for our lives today. So I'm going to put the uh, passages up on the screen next to me. So if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. Joshua chapter 3. Let's read the first four verses. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So he gives instructions to follow basically the Ark of the Covenant towards the Jordan River, but stay a thousand yards away because there's something obviously pretty either dangerous or important about the Ark. If you're unfamiliar with the Ark of the Covenant, this is the picture. Some of you have seen it from movies if you've never seen it from the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant, there's instructions in Exodus 25 on the creation of the Ark. It's basically a chest of wood overlaid with gold with these two outstretched winged cherubim above them. And this is where God would dwell and would meet with uh, the leaders of Israel, would meet with Moses. This mercy seat, it was called, above in the, the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant here. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments that were on the, um, the stone tablets. It contained Aaron's rod. It contained a bowl of manna as well. But most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God in the midst of the people. This is why they needed to stay a thousand yards away. This was not an ordinary thing. This is why whenever they went out to battle, typically they would bring the Ark of the Covenant out with them as the presence of God fighting for them. 
Okay, that's the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. And so Joshua gives these instructions through through the, what comes from God to say, follow the Ark of the Covenant, but stay at a close. I mean, stay at, at, at a safe distance. Remember Exodus 25, 22, at the end of the instructions, God said this, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So that's the ark of the covenant, symbolic of the presence of God in the midst of his people. So let me continue reading verses 5 through 17. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for today the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So God instructs the priests to take the Ark, to set foot in the Jordan River. And he says, when you set foot, the river is going to stop. It's going to pile up upstream and the river will become dry so that you and the whole nation can pass through. And God says, I'm doing this not just to demonstrate my power, my covenant faithfulness to Israel, but also Joshua, I'm doing this to exalt you so that everyone will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. If you remember, when they escaped from Egypt, God had done this very same thing at the Red Sea with Moses, right? That Moses you know, came into the sea while the Pharaoh and his armies were chasing them and he parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went through before it crashed back down on Pharaoh and his armies. And now he says, I'm going to do the same thing here at the Jordan River to show that I am with you just as I was with Moses. So let me continue reading Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. And tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you, and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. 
and went across the Jordan, the, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with, to, with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Notice this happens at the end a lot, doesn't it? Where he says they were there to this day. This is still there to this day. It's his way of letting his readers know that this is still something that you can visit. You know, a monument that is still there. It's also just, it helps us who are reading it to trust the veracity of this account. This isn't something written thousands of years afterwards. This is something that's written during the time period where they could go and still visit the stone monument here. That's to commemorate what God has done. Let me continue now and read the rest of chapter 4. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come up out of the Jordan, and the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might also always fear the Lord your God. So God gives them instructions how to cross the river and to set up these 12 stones as a, rem- as a reminder, a memorial of what he has done, of the power of God, of his covenant faithfulness, so that they would always fear the Lord. Fear there does not mean like quake in fear. You know, when they talk about fearing the Lord, it means to have a healthy reverence and awe and respect towards God. So now that we've read chapters 3 and 4, I just want to share with you three things that I think are important from this passage about how we are to walk in faith with God. The first one, I think, is this, that God gives many promises, but we must take hold of them through an act of faith. God has many promises that he gives to us, but we must take hold of those promises through an act of faith. So in this story, what we see, we see that God has told the Israelites, I am giving you this land, the land of Canaan. It is promised to you. But the people still actually have things they need to do, right? It's not just up to them to be passive, and it just falls into their laps. They must step out. They must step into the Jordan. They must cross through to the other land. They must then enter into battle. Just because it has been promised does not mean it is automatically theirs. Unless they are willing to take hold of it 
through an act of faith. I mean, think about 40 years earlier. 40 years earlier, it was still a promised land, right? Moses is leading the Israelites. He says, this is the land I've promised to you. But they come to the land, and in their unbelief, they say, I don't know, this is too hard. I don't think we can do it. And as a result, they don't enter the promised land. Instead, the whole generation dies in the wilderness. God has promised this land to them, but it's not going to come to them just by them being passive. They are going to have to take hold of it through an act of faith. Just look at what God asks of them in this wonderful picture here. I couldn't find a good picture of them entering the river. But he says, you're going to have to take the Ark of the Covenant. The priests are going to have to take the Ark, and they're going to have to step into the Jordan River. I mean... What if they said, you know, you know, okay, we believe intellectually, God. We believe intellectually that you can part the river. We believe intellectually that you can give us this promised land. But we're afraid to enter the river. I mean, what if we enter the river and then we die and the Ark of the Covenant is lost forever? Well, then, they never would have entered the promised land. Just believing it intellectually would not have caused them to receive the promise. They needed to take hold of it by an act of faith. They needed to actually step into the river in order to see the power of God, in order to cross over so that they could enter the promised land. If they refused to step out in faith, they never would have entered the promised land, just like the generation before them did not enter the promised land. Are you tracking with me here? I think this is crucial for you to understand in your discipleship. That God, when you read through the Bible, is he gives so many promises to us. There are so many things that he has promised. But they're not promises that are given to you to just sit passively and God is going to do all these things while you sit passively doing nothing. They are promises that he has given to you that must be taken hold of by an act of faith. Let me give some examples. Let's read through some of the promises of God, and let's pay attention to some of the acts of faith that we are called to take. For example, John 3.16. A lot of you are familiar with this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Notice that it's not just God gave his Son to die for the whole world. Whether or not you believe in him, you got eternal life. Whether or not you have put your faith in Jesus, don't worry. When you die, you're with him forever. It's not what it says, does it? It says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's a great promise here of eternal life, but it is only for those who would take hold of it by an act of faith, by believing in him. How about this one? Matthew 6, 31 to 33. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Again, the promise is that God will take care of your every need. You don't need to worry. God will care for your needs. And that's a great promise. But don't miss the act of faith it's calling you to take, which is this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Again, it's not just you sit on the couch, you know, you watch your Netflix, and God will take care of your needs. Don't worry. It's not the promise. The promise is you don't go running after all of these things and concerning yourself. You worry about seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You make that the focus of your life and God will take care of your every need. 
That's a great promise. But again, he's saying take hold of it through an act of faith. How about this one? Which is a subject of one of the community groups we're doing right now on Thursday nights. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's this promise of peace, a supernatural peace that transcends understanding, that can meet you in your anxiety and your worry and help you to have peace. But again, it's not just a promise to those who are passive. It's a promise to who? It says, to those who by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present their requests to God, who come to God with their needs, with their fears, with their anxieties. Come to him in prayer. He says, and I will give you my peace. It's another great promise, but it's not just for the passive. It's for those who will lay hold of it through an act of faith, through prayer. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The promise is not that God is going to work good for everyone, for every individual on this world. It's not the promise here. The promise is that he will work good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, who have entered into a relationship with him. So yes, this is a promise that is an enormously important promise that we can trust that no matter what happens, that God will work it for good. But, again, lay hold of it through an act of faith by loving him. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, the promise of forgiveness is not just for everyone. God through his son's death on the cross for us, has offered forgiveness to every single human being. Forgiveness for every sin, past, present, and future. That they would be perfect and blameless before God, before a holy God. But, it's not something that you get passively. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the act of faith that you need to do? Confess your sins. Agree with him that what you have done is wrong, is a violation of his holy standard, is deserving of death. That's confession. And you will receive forgiveness. Last one here. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Another amazing promise of God, of strength for those who are weary, but it's for those, he says, who hope in the Lord who aren't hoping in the things of this world, but are putting their hope in the Lord. Is this making sense? This is what I see when I look at God's promise to Joshua and the Israelites to enter the promised land. He says, it's yours. I'm promising it to you. But you need to take hold of it through an act of faith. You are going to have to step out into the Jordan River while it's still raging with the Ark of the Covenant. And unless you do that, unless you trust me in this, you're not going to enter the promised land. It's not just coming to those who are passive. It's coming to those who, through an act of faith, will take hold of my promises. So I hope that you're hearing what I'm saying here because I think this shows us an important lesson when it comes to our discipleship. If you feel like, where are you, God? I feel like you're absent. I feel like I'm, or maybe you feel like you're stagnant in your faith and you're just not seeing God's reality and you're not experiencing God. I would point you to his word. I would point you to the innumerable promises that he has offered to you. 
in his word. And I would ask you to look at how he's calling you to take a step of faith to take hold of those promises. All the things that I just listed out there, to love him, to seek him, to confess to him, to serve, to step out in faith and follow him where he's calling you. And you will see the power of God and you will see the reality of God. But you need to lay hold of it through an act of faith. It makes me think of fasting. I don't know if any of you have ever fasted. And I hate fasting, but whenever I do it, I just am blown away by the reality of the presence of God. And I shouldn't be because he's promised it. You know? Seek and you'll find. And when you, when you fast, when you seek him in that way, in a deeper way, he shows himself in a deeper way. It happens without fail. But it's up to me to take that step of faith to say, I need you more than I need food. I want you more than I want food. He has so much available to you in his promises and so much power that's available to you and his presence that's available to you. But it's going to take stepping out in faith, taking hold of those promises. The second thing from this passage is this. Find ways of commemorating what God has done. Find ways of commemorating what God has done. Isn't this great how they go through, but instead of just going through and celebrating, God says, stop, choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and take a stone from the middle of the Jordan River and set it up where you camp as a memorial of what God has done so that when future generations see this memorial and ask you what it means, you'll be able to tell them the story of how God parted the waters of the Jordan so that you could enter the promised land. Commemorate what God has done. Set up these stones of remembrance. This idea of setting up stones of remembrance happens often in the Old Testament. You know, it's a very simple way of making a memorial is to take these stones and set something up. So when people say, what does that mean? It's a reminder of a story of what God has done. One example is 1 Samuel 7.12, after God has delivered Israel from the attacking Philistines, it says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. There's a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Maybe you've heard it. And the second verse says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I, I've come. And maybe you, you sing that and you're like, what's he talking about? You know, Because usually Ebenezer, you think Scrooge. This is where it comes from. Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that means, thus far has the Lord helped us. It's a stone of remembrance. And here I raise my Ebenezer as a way of saying, it's a reminder, reminding myself, reminding others of how far God has brought me, what God has brought me through, where I used to be, and where I am now. And here in Joshua chapter 4, he says, I need you to set up this memorial to commemorate what God has done, to remind yourselves of God's power, and to teach future generations of who I am and what I've done, so they don't forget So you don't forget, because you're about to go into battle against all these nations, and you need to trust and know that I am with you, and that if you trust me, I will make a way where there seems to be no way. And so set up this memorial so that when you look at it, you're reminded that God parted the Jordan River, that where there seemed to be no way, God made a way. And you can trust him, and you can trust him for the battles that are ahead. You can trust him for what's coming next. Trust that God is good. Ebenezer stone of remembrance. And so I ask you, are you doing this in your life? Have you done this? 
when God has acted and moved in your life and done things, have you found ways of commemorating it so that when you see it, you're reminded, oh, that's right. I remember what God has done, how he delivered me, how far he's brought me. A simple way is journaling. You know, some of you journal, and when God does things that are noteworthy, you, re- you write it down so that you can look back and remember, oh, that's right. I remember when God did that. It's a simple way of doing it. But there's other ways that you can memorialize or commemorate as well. I mean, you can, you can have pictures, put pictures on your wall, or make memorials out in a garden or something that you do to commemorate what God has done. You know, if you've gone on a mission trip or you've done something that was life-changing in your life, you take a picture, put it on your wall, so that every time you see it, it reminds you of the story of God's power and what he's done. So I'd encourage you, again, coming out of this sermon, this is a very tangible thing that you can do, is to commemorate what God has done in your life so that you don't forget and so that future generations, when they ask you or they come into your house and they say, oh, what's that? You know, what's, what's that pile of rocks? What's that picture about? Tell me the story. Then you can tell them about the reality of God and what he's done in your life. This phrase in the song always makes me think of Brian, right? Brian Firon. You know, he always pointed about this Ebenezer, the stone of remembrance, our, our, our brother who passed away a few years ago. The reminder of what God has done, how far he's brought me. He was always good at reminding us of that. And I would encourage you as well to find ways of commemorating what God has done. The third element uh, from this passage that I want to remind you of is this and teach you of is this. The crossing of the Jordan into the promised land points us to the gospel. As I mentioned earlier, the ark is a symbol of God's presence, right? It wasn't just a box. It was God's presence where he dwelt in the center of the community. As they traveled through the promised land, the ark would be at the center. God would be at the center where he met with his people. And now as they approach the Jordan River, the ark goes in front of them. God's presence goes ahead of them. And as they enter the river, God in his presence in the ark holds back the river that was certain to sweep over them and kill them. And he holds that back so that they might cross over into the promised land. And you can think of being an Israelite, crossing through the Jordan River. What must it have been like as you're walking through, seeing the river like that and seeing the ark, that it's God's presence holding back this river that if he stopped holding it back, would just sweep over you and kill you. But by God's power, he has kept death from you and delivered you into the promised land. That promised land was a picture to the Israelites of the blessing, the covenant blessing, and the rest and the peace that God was giving to them. They believed that entering this promised land, they would find rest, they'd find peace. Remember Joshua 1.13. Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that the promised land never really was a place of rest for them. But they entered, and they fought battle after battle, and they, they did not, you know, they left uh, nations that, that came against them, that corrupted them, and in their own sin, they kept falling away from God until finally God removed them from the land because they could not stay faithful to God. And this land that was supposed to be the promised land of rest never became a place of rest for them. But the truth is that God's promise was never about this narrow strip of land in the Middle East. Right? As if that is the great promise of God is, here, you get this land. But the land is meant to point us to the greater 
gift, the greater land, the greater rest found in the worldwide kingdom of God. The rest that's found in the gospel. Think of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See what he's saying here? It's like that promised land. It wasn't really about a land in the Middle East, as if that's worth fighting over. It's about a worldwide kingdom of God, a heavenly city, that one day we will dwell and God will dwell with us and this whole earth will be renewed and heaven and earth will be one as we dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth and the whole world will be his. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That is what is promised. That's what the promised land points us to. It's not about this little strip of land. And so the Israelites enter the promised land, but they don't find rest. They don't find peace. Because in the end, it's not about that. But that Ark of the Covenant, holding back the river of death, points us to the gospel that God sent his son, that Jesus in his death on the cross held back death from us so that we would cross over to eternal life. So that the waves of death would not sweep over and destroy us utterly, but that we would, by the power of God, have salvation and enter the promised land. Think of Hebrews chapter 2. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Just as the promised land points to heaven and eternity and and, and the kingdom of God, the Ark of the Covenant points us to Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence in our midst, it's not really about a box, is it? It points us to Jesus, that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And just as that Ark held back death, Jesus, by his death, rescued us, saved us from death, so that we might enter eternity, so that we might have eternal life, so that we might enter the kingdom of God. Again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Take hold of this promise. Take hold of the other promises that he's offered to you. Step out in faith and follow him as he leads you. This is the promise that as we take hold of this, we enter the promise and we have eternal life. True rest for our souls. And let us find ways to commemorate what God has done. Not only his salvation, but every time that God has come through and shown himself true in our lives. Find ways of commemorating that. Set up memorials so that people would know, so that you'd be remembering as well of the greatness of God in your life. Let me close in prayer and then we're going to respond in worship. God, we thank you for the salvation that you have given us. 
that Jesus, by his death, rescued us so that we might cross through and enter into the promised land into eternity. Thank you, Lord. Help us to walk by faith, to take hold of the the promises that you offer to us, Lord. To not sit passively by wondering where you are and why you're not acting, why you're not doing anything, but instead to walk by faith. To be courageous, strong and courageous as we follow you, that we might see your power displayed in our lives and in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Wethersfield, Connecticut, and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship. 